0: Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity, uh, this nice morning here at Camp Meeting. Beautiful sunshine outside, and uh, coolness of the weather keeps us awake, and we're just grateful for all that you do for us. We pray that you will bless our training time today, that your Holy Spirit will guide our instruction that you will help me in the words that I share and us as we listen and learn together today. May your Holy Spirit be in charge of all that is done here, we pray and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, today we want to uh, get into the second part of this Elder's Basic Training class. And I want to... uh, be able to share uh, several things with you. I mentioned that one of the things I want to be able to focus in on is on the um, is on visitation because this is one of the greatest needs that we have in our churches and one of the least utilized by elders and so I really want to be able to spend some time focusing in on that today and uh, having some opportunity to discuss that a little bit more. So uh, I want to uh, begin, though, we're going we're to deal with several areas today. Uh, the one I want to have the most time for, uh, at least not to feel rushed with, is the visitation section. But I want to spend, uh, because this is basic training, there are a couple other areas that I want to spend a little time with as well. And one of those is the elder and the worship service. And uh, be able to concentrate a little bit on that area because this is the area that elders are most likely to recognize they are responsible for it and uh, to, to be invested in it to some extent. So, I want to talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, worship is an encountering with God. Uh, I remember as a pastor, uh, some young people kind of not really getting the idea of what worship's all about. For some people, the idea of worship is coming into church. And I sure hope the pastor's going to have a good sermon today. I hope that there's going to be a nice orchestra playing and a nice choir singing because I want to be entertained. Now, people won't tell you that, but they they exhibit that thinking by the way they respond to what happens in the church service. They see the worship service the way Hollywood produces whatever, it's for entertainment, is to get our attention and, and to keep us engaged. And if it's not doing that, then it really hasn't been what we expected it to be, so maybe we're not going to come anymore because it's not meeting my needs. You, you get what I'm saying? Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be providing a quality church service. That doesn't mean that people that are doing special music shouldn't practice. That doesn't mean that people are doing the Scripture shouldn't know how to read it and what they're saying. You won't get through there. They need chairs Oh, okay. Can they open this door? They can't. You won't get through there. How many chairs do they need? I don't know, but she's short on chairs, and she wondered where they went to. Okay, well, we understood they only had 15 people in there, so we took some of the chairs because my next class has a lot. So they'll have to come back. The door won't open, so you can't get through that. You take what you need, but uh, I need them back afterwards, okay? Thanks. It's all right, it's all right, it's all right. So we're talking about um, worship is encountering God. That really is what worship is all about. We want people to be able to understand the purpose of worship. But if we don't understand what worship is, we can't help people to understand what worship is. And so that's why I'm taking the time to be able to explain this. See, worship is focused upon God, it's not focused on the people. When the children of Israel got together to worship together, they were coming not to be entertained. I wonder what God's going to do today. I wonder if there's going to be a lightning bolt today so we can get excited. I wonder, you know, that isn't what worship was about the people were coming for an encounter with god they were coming to be focused on god they were coming there to meet god to spend time with god they were coming there and when they came and 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 god was there they were on their knees they were uh, they were prostrate they were they were uh coming before God with humility. This was an encounter with the God, the God who created them, the God who led them out of Egypt, the God who was the God of creation. And and, uh, they realized what this was all about. And so that was part of that whole experience. Um, And Ellen White puts it this way, she says, the whispering and laughing and talking, which might be without sin in a common business place, should find no sanction. Don't take those. Don't take, don't, you won't want to take those. You look at your hands right now. I know, I No, don't, don't take those. Take the white ones and we'll get the white ones back, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I just knew that she wasn't going to want those chairs, unless she wants to clean them for me. <laughs> so, what this is helping us to understand is this worship is coming before God, and that is the experience that God wants you and me to have. And that's what you and I are leading out with in our experience in worship. That's why we want the best quality we can provide, because this is this is exhibiting God. Um, we, we run into two problems today. The problems that we deal with in relationship to worship services that many of our churches are small, um, very small. Uh, Ellen and Ray, you have a small congregation in Reed City. Uh, Dan, you're in Ann Arbor. That's a larger congregation. You have more people resources to work with. Um, Victor, you're in... Sure. Can I call you Victor? Yeah. I I you know whatever um you're in Cherry Hill and you're kind of in between probably more the size of of Reed City and your resources are somewhat limited uh you're the people that you have to choose from but that doesn't mean that the people that are there they're not performing but the people that are leading out can't be uh be prepared and doing the very best that they can because they're doing this for God. We want visitors who come to the church to not see Hollywood. We want them to see sincere people prepared to serve God and to represent God in the church. And the statement here is just reminding us of the fact that this sanctuary is the place where we meet God. Now, we want to talk about some of the aspects of worship right now. First of all, worship includes adoration. That is, we're coming to uh, worship God, to adore Him, to recognize who He is. And this is done through expressing uh, our adoration through singing and prayer, Uh some of our smaller churches have a hard time because they don't have anybody to play the piano. Any of your churches have that problem? You can have it. It happens from time to time. You've only got one pianist, you know. And if they happen to go on vacation, what are you going to do? And you don't have anybody to be able to provide that. And those are some real challenges along the way. Um, but prayer, we can all pray. We have a pianist, but no one can sing with it. Okay. <laughs> Victor, I don't know if you're still kind of watching that thing for me. i appreciate it. I don't know what it's actually doing right now. But yeah, you got the routine down, so that's really great. Um, so at any rate, we want, again, to be doing the best that we can in singing and prayer. We are there to affirm God's goodness, recognizing His worthiness, and um, it also reverences His presence we, that's why the sanctuary needs to be a place that is reverent because uh, God is holy and to be lifted up. And if we are acting though it's a commonplace, then we are taking away for the, from the worship of God. Worship includes proclamation. Worship is a time for the proclamation of God's word. Notice that there are several different aspects to our worship. Adoration comes in singing and prayer. Uh, Proclamation of the Word comes in the preaching. We are going to talk a little bit about sermon preparation a little later in our presentation today. Worship includes renewal. It should result in someone having an experience with Christ, with God, and renewing their relationship with Him. We need to renew our relationship with God Every single day, correct? So when we come to a worship service, we should not uh, be surprised that this is a place to meet God and to renew our relationship with Him. That doesn't mean that we've been so bad all week that we need to renew it or we've been so good all week that we don't need to. The experience is that we need to come together, and because God is there, God is leading us closer to Him, and He's leading us to change. We come there as sinners, hopefully, by the grace of God, growing sinners, sanctifying sinners, day by day, because we don't just study and pray and worship God on Sabbath, but we do it all week long, but we also recognize that this is a special corporate opportunity and we expect God to be there and He expects to bless us. That's what He wants to do. That brings renewal and change. That's why I don't apologize on a Sabbath morning for calling people to make a decision, to to respond to what has been shared, because that is God's way through the proclamation of the Word of leading us closer to Him. And and He wants us to respond to Him, and we should be responding to Him. Um, this renewal comes through reflection, prayer, and meditation, and is also, also a time of repentance. It's a time for us to say, Lord, I am growing today. I, ha- I know that during this past week, I've uh, needed to grow more, and I've made mistakes. I've sinned during this week, and I'm coming, and I'm repenting to you, and, and this is a time when I am growing. It's a time to experience the wholeness and the peace of Christ. Some people come especially burdened when they come to a church service on Sabbath morning. And they need to be encouraged. And they need to be strengthened. And they need to be uh, led to a deeper and a more complete relationship with Christ. And they should go home with peace in their hearts. Some people... Say, I, I just don't like coming to church. The sermon I hear all the time is how bad I am and all of that. And, you know, there are times for us to know how bad we are. But hopefully that sermon ends with how good Jesus is and how strong He is and how He wants to help us with growing in Him. We, that's what we want to see happening, right? Uh, worship includes fellowship. Sharing together in public worship gives strength to personal Christian development. Um, a fellowship is a time when we are able to encounter other human beings like ourselves with whom we hopefully are friends. <laughs> There's nothing worse where a church is at each other's throats where church members are angry for this reason or that reason. And sometimes, and frankly, most of the time, the things that they're upset about are things that are just not important enough to be angry about. Somebody's gotten their feelings hurt because of the fact that they had had a different idea about the color the carpeting should have been. Uh, They didn't like the fact that somebody came and took the soap off of the sink in the bathrooms because that was really their job to be able to replace the soap in the bathrooms. I mean, it's that kind of thing that sometimes people get upset about and it's little things that don't aren't important but worship is about fellowship and and interacting together and having that corporate worship experience is to strengthen our personal development in relationship to the people that we are participating with worship includes participation That's why you don't want just everything happening up front, but you want people singing together. You want people praying. Uh, In corporate worship, we don't generally break up into groups and pray. That's more a prayer a meeting-type environment or a Sabbath school-type thing. But nonetheless, you want people engaging and participating in that, which is why many churches will have a time for prayer requests or sharing praises that they want to share. That gets them involved in the participation in the church service and makes our singing and our praying, especially our praying, more, more inclusive and more uh, involving fellowship together. Uh, It also includes, participation includes leading, giving people a chance to participate along with it. In other words, if if you've got 40 people coming to to, uh, Sabbath school and church, church in particular right now, on Sabbath morning you've got 40 people, but there's two people that do everything up front every Sabbath. What's wrong with that? There's nobody else participating. Now, from an elder's perspective, there's another critical part to this. And it's part that I really want to stress at this moment, and maybe a little bit more as we go through this, and that is one of the reasons we're not getting more participation is we're not training people. And that takes time and effort, and maybe we don't feel comfortable in actually being a trainer. we can learn how to do that. Training does not have to be where, like I'm standing up here today and I'm doing training, and yes, I'm, I'm an ordained minister, and yes, I went to seminary, and yes, I'll... You don't have to be that to be a trainer. You are a trainer because you're a leader in your church. And your training doesn't have to be upfront formal. It can be one-on-one giving some guidance and direction about how to do something. For example, Let's assume here that, that uh, I'll use your other name, dude is a, is a, a 10-year-old boy, and, and he's uh, growing up in the church, and you want him to do the scripture reading on Sabbath morning. But, you know, the last time dude got up and he did the, the Scripture reading, he couldn't even find the passage in the Bible. And then when he read it, you know, it was only one line long, but he, uh, he, he, it took him ten minutes to get through that. I'm exaggerating, you understand. <laughs> and, and you're not sure you want him to do it again. Train him. Take him aside and gently teach him how to do it. And perhaps, you know, if he happens to have have a uh, a Christian school or an Adventist school right there that uh, he's part of, you can get work with the teacher and have the teacher work to train him there. If it's an adult that you're working with, they may need to be trained too on how to do reading. And that's sometimes a little more threatening because, you know, adult teaching an adult how to do that. But sometimes adults need to be trained as well and they will do better and enjoy it more if someone teaches them. Because sometimes people get up front and they, they look down and they read the scripture reading and you can hardly hear what they're saying. It so fast? Or it's so fast because they want to get out of there. They don't want to be up there. And sometimes it takes practice. And it, I would bring somebody up, and, and sometimes it, this is a good thing to do on a general basis because then you know, people know you're not picking on them. Very few churches do this but it's not a bad thing to do. If the people that are going to participate in the church service were to come on Friday night and rehearse what they're doing, get used to the microphone and talking to the microphone instead of standing way back here, away from the microphone, but getting right up to it because you need to be close to it and projecting your voice out, speaking loud enough, no sense reading the scripture. (laughs) <laughs> if I'm the only one who can hear it, what good is is the person standing up there and reading it? So you, by teaching them how to do it, they gain confidence and they work through that process. So singing, praying, giving, the scripture reading, whatever it is that we might be doing, involving more people and teaching them how to do it in the best possible way. And small churches can be especially good at this. If you have young people, they feel more comfortable in a smaller environment than they do standing up in front of Pioneer Memorial, and there's more chance of participation. I was, my father was a minister, and one of the churches my father pastored, actually in those those days he only had the one church, that was nice, but it was a relatively small church, and the, the church members took me and involved me in various things that were going on and that participation connected me with what was happening and kept me involved in the church. And those simple things, they may not seem as important, but I look back at and I say, you know, I don't know if they did that on purpose or they were just being nice or whatever, but that was the exact right thing to do. So participation is very important. Remembering anniversaries, birthdays, and other special events is another way to show members that they are an important part of the church family. Now, when it comes to these kinds of things, and and we're talking about the worship service, we do have to be careful that this doesn't become a secular type event. The worship service is not the place to be singing happy birthday to people. All right, you can do that at the potluck But you can recognize a person's special anniversary or or even a birthday in a smaller setting by including that in the prayer time and thanking the Lord for that person and their birthday or the birthdays they've had this time and recognizing two or three people who've had birthdays. You see, you can do it that way and still make it worshipful and inclusive uh, with people as well. Worship also deserves planning. I, I want to be kind, but I want to be straight. Uh, I have been to some churches, and I do not see those churches represented here today, so I want you to know that. I've been to all of your churches, and I haven't seen that represented there that, uh, that I'm recalling at this point, but I am thinking of a couple other churches that I've been to. And when I've gone there to that worship service, nobody knows who's doing what on that particular Sabbath morning. Okay? Um, Nobody has a clue. The elder doesn't know that the elder's on the platform, or if there are two or three elders, nobody knows who's on. Or the elder that was on isn't there and didn't call anybody to tell them they weren't going to be there. The person who's supposed to take care of the Scripture They don't know that they're taking care of it, or nobody arranged that ahead of time. Um, Literally, uh, my wife has come back from some church services and told me, you know, I got up there and they were saying, now who's going to do the Scripture reading? I'm talking about from the front on Sabbath morning, okay? Who's going to do the Scripture reading this morning, and who's going to... Folks, that's not planning, and that's not honoring God. And one of the reasons I'm making the point is that Uh, to encourage you never to fall into that trap, number one. Number two, I'm recording this, and if it's used for a training purpose, I really want to make sure that anybody who's listening understands that planning honors God, but a lack of planning is not honoring to God because God plans and God's organized, and God knows what's going on ahead of time. And it's not just His foresight, it's because He is organized like we should be. If we're going to represent Him, we want to do so in the best possible way. Successful worship does not just happen. I believe there are times in our churches where practice, like I mentioned earlier, by the way of helping people learn to participate... Um, is also valuable to make sure that a good service process is taking place. If you're making a change in the worship service and your elders are not used to it, how about coming together on a Friday night and rehearsing it? Yes, I know, nobody can. It's hard to get people to come to church, let alone come to rehearsing. But maybe it's because we haven't been putting enough effort into the whole experience. I would be happy to go to a small church that's organized and know what they're doing and as opposed to going to a large church that has no idea what they're doing. I'll be blessed in that small church because they are well prepared and they are sharing the best that they have and I'm getting a blessing from that experience. Successful worship doesn't just happen, you need to plan it together. Uh, If you are working as a group of elders, the elders should be planning ahead for that worship service. Who's going to be here? When are you going to be on vacation? Uh, How can we involve more people in this church service? That's part of that planning process that needs to be done and working this out ahead of time. The service must not just become mere routine. In some of our cases, especially in smaller churches, because, you know, let's be honest... There's only two elders, and there's going to be a certain routine to it. But we can plan ahead and figure out some things that will to enhance that church service, that Sabbath, so it's not just me reading the Scripture and me doing this, whatever. We might even invite some special guests to come and do special music from a neighboring church that will help with that. It takes planning to do that. But that helps to bless your congregation with variety, and it involves other people from other congregations as well. You can't do that all the time, but you can do it from time to time. The worship service involves the coordination of the activities and the talents of many people, and therefore it needs to be planned out so that everybody knows what they're going to do. Some people that are musicians, for example, get really frustrated when we're not organized and we don't know what we're doing. And because we don't know what we're doing, we don't know how to go about... uh, They don't know when to come in. They don't know when they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, And they don't know if there are any idiosyncrasies, if they're visitors about your congregation. When you have a visiting speaker... Don't assume that the visiting speaker knows how your service orders. I go to, um, could go to 190 different churches and companies. I don't get to all of them, and I haven't been to every church in Michigan. We go by invitation, so that's how that works. And I couldn't do that in, in uh, three or four years to be able to get around to all those churches and accomplish that. But let me tell you, I go to a different worship service every Sabbath and they're all different. They don't function the same way. And I really appreciate it when the elder takes me uh, or or the, the group or even me aside if necessary and goes through the bulletin with me and tells me when things are going to take place, and what needs to take place there, and whether we're standing or kneeling, and just how we're doing that. That's a very important part of that process. And I recognize that much more from being on the side that I am coming in as a visitor than I was when I was pastoring and realizing I needed to make sure I was teaching everybody, including the speaker who is the president of the conference, who I think knows everything and knows all but does not know how our church service and order of service goes. So these things must be planned out and uh, we need to help everybody know what their part is and make sure that before we go up on the platform one last time, everybody knows what they're doing and when they're doing it so it's well orchestrated and planned out. All right, any questions on this particular area before I move into another section? Just want to see if there are any questions or observations. Okay, let's talk about another aspect that includes this, has to do with preaching. And I just want to talk about this aspect of it because this is not a training class today on how to prepare a sermon, but it is a brief introduction to this because I'm sure that, let me ask you, have any of you had to preach a sermon on Sabbath morning? All right. And did any of you go to the seminary and learn how to to prepare sermons? Okay. So the, what I'm sharing is some basic principles and can be of help to you. And I would like to do a sermon preparation class at some point. And that's kind of what I'm doing with the elder training now. I'm I did uh, several years of uh, what I call basic training in a little bit more expanded form than what I'm doing now. And then I'm trying to concentrate on some specific areas. This year, my specific area is redemptive discipline, because this is a needed area in the church, and I'm especially focusing on that. Uh, Next year, uh, Lord willing that I'm still around <laughs> and we still have GAM meeting, or we haven't gone to heaven and don't need it anymore. Um, the truth is that I'd like to maybe zero in on maybe have a, somebody come in and do a class on sermon preparation who's especially good at it. Yeah, Dr. Holmes used to fill that, like when he hasn't the last few years. Yeah, teaching a class on that? Yeah, and it might, somebody like that might be good. Dr. Holmes is saying, every year he's saying, this is my last year, <laughs> and by the grace of God, the Lord gives him another year, and we're grateful for it, and we'll utilize him as much as we can, what time but of day absolutely. Day what time of day is it? Uh, that class is at 3.30. Yeah, that's at 3.30. Mm. It's being recorded, so hopefully that is of some help, but uh, that's at 3.30, Okay. Uh, I'd like to give you eight uh, rules for effective preaching. The first one is, if you're going to preach, you need to know Christ. It's that simple. You don't have anything to say if you don't know Jesus as your own personal Savior. That is the root of preaching. That may seem elementary, but it's not. You haven't got anything to give if Christ hasn't given it to you. Um, it's, it is, it is, well, let me, let me put it this way. There's an individual by the name of E.M. Bounds. Have you ever heard of E.M. Bounds? If you never read any of his material, it's out there. You can get his books free online, uh, in terms of downloading them, or you can buy them. They're relatively inexpensive paperbacks usually. And he's written several books, but his power and prayer is, a, a, Hugely powerful uh, book, and I reckon I've read it. Uh, pastors have read it. And I give it to pastors to read. E M E dot M. In other words, the initials E M, and the last word uh, name is Bounds. B O U D N S. Bounds. B O U N D S. Get it? Say it right here. B O U N D S. And when you read him, and he talks about the value and the importance of prayer and the experience there, he talks about the fact that the experience of a preacher and the experience of a minister comes out in what in his in what he does when he has spent time with God in prayer, when he has uh, a personal relationship with God, that begins to come out of the the preacher in the preaching. A great preacher has to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are some great orators out there who can preach a mighty sermon without a relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't change people's lives. And that's an important part of this. So this is real preaching, real effective preaching, the kind of preaching that Jesus himself did or Paul did or people like Charles Spurgeon and other famous uh, preachers in Christianity have, have, uh, have the experience that they've had comes from that inner experience with Jesus. It is also biblical preaching. I had an experience as a pastor, and, and I'm somewhat ashamed to say it because I wish I'd never had that experience. But the elders of the church that I was pastoring at that particular time got me together. We were having an elders meeting, and one of the elders, the head elder at that time, especially complained. And he complained about my preaching. And he complained about my preaching, and he said, I, I, we need to hear the doctrines of the church. And I'd fallen into the trap of preaching about some of the society's ills and uh, psychological solutions and philosophical solutions to problems and not concentrating on the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God. Now, I've been eternally grateful to that elder who was willing to stand up, so to speak, to the pastor and suggested that change was needed. And I took that to heart by the grace of God. I knew that the man was right. And I needed to follow that. So take my counsel. And if you, for some reason, were to fall into that trap, don't. Don't get in that trap in the first place. Your preaching needs to be biblical. There are different kinds of biblical preaching. There's expository uh, expository preaching where you get into the Word and you take a passage and you just get everything out of that passage that you possibly can. and And, you know, you can... You say I don't know Greek, I don't know all that, but there's so many tools out there that will give you information and help you with that, and be a and be a real big uh, boost to what you're doing with that kind of preaching. And you you can get lots of that. That's the expository type of preaching. You know, go to Ellen White and see everything she says about a passage, and 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 you know how to do that. There's there are um, there's the what do they call it, the... There's a specific word that's not coming to my head. But there's a three-volume index that Ellen White has. It's printed index. You can also find it online. And that index has all the places that are mentioned in Ellen White on a particular verse. You can look it up by passage And it includes a scriptural index in there. And you can find what she says on a passage. You can find out what other people say. And if you are able to get on the Internet, you're computer savvy and you work with that, you can get a lot of different resources that way. There's also narrative preaching. You know, some of Jesus' preaching was more of a narrative style. There were times when he was telling parables and telling stories, and sometimes, uh, though, you don't want to mix up your preaching a little bit and use a different kind of a style. There's narrative preaching that you can use, but still biblical. It's coming from the Bible, and you're telling that kind of a story. Sometimes you can mix them up a little bit. There's some expository part of it where you're preaching a sermon and pulling out part of uh, what's happening there from the passage, and other times you're sharing it from a narrative way, sharing it kind of in a story form. I have a sermon that I do out of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and I spend a little bit of time in the expository part of it in the first couple of verses, drawing out what it is that Paul is saying there in relationship to that the that experience of, of uh, finding that uh, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith, and and how these the words there tell us what it is that we're trying to know about this experience. And then part of it is us telling a bit of a story about how I came to understand that passage more completely by personal experience that I had, using that as an illustration. But the Bible is the center of our preaching, and people are being led into the Word of God. If they don't ever have to open a Bible, then our sermon isn't biblical. Alright, so we want people to be having that kind of experience. Preaching relevantly, in other words, preaching to the uh, needs of people today, preaching positively, not negatively. You can say negative things in a positive way and people will be happy. But you can say negative things in a negative way and you can say positive things in a negative way where people say, that was really depressing. You want to be positive in your preaching. You want to prepare early, you want to organize logically, I'm going a little faster now, you want to speak clearly, and you want to plan annually. Now what does that last part mean? Let me just go through each one of these uh, briefly. Prepare early, in other words, don't wait to Friday night to prepare Sabbath morning sermon. You want to organize logically, in other words, you want what you 're sharing to be going systematically so that it makes sense to people as you listen as they listen to you if you, uh, if you don 't think through how you 're sharing what you 're you're, you're trying to sh- trying to say to them. Sometimes it comes out all jumbled and mixed up. I mean, you can imagine if I were doing this presentation and it was, didn't have any logic to it, any flow to it, you'd get confused, you wouldn't know where we were, you want to organize logically. By the way, one way to learn how to think that way and to know how to present that way is read other people's sermons. Um, and how many of you do use the computer? How many of you do use computer, okay? So you can get online and you can search the internet, correct? How many of you are used to doing that? All right. If you get on and search the internet a little bit, there are lots of uh, resources that are out there, both Adventist resources and non-Adventist resources, where you can read people's sermons and just see how that flows, and you can teach yourself about how a sermon moves from one point to another. Usually we say have an introduction, three points in the middle, and a conclusion. That's the kind of way that you want to move. Speak clearly. I think that already speaks for itself, so to speak. And plan annually. What do I mean by that? Think about... How you're going to plan the preaching for the year. If you are a board of elders, get together and talk about how do we, what is, what theme do we want for this year? What, uh, you know, you're going to be preaching, Ray, you're going to be preaching uh, uh, during the month of uh, January. Ellen, you're going to be preaching during the month of February, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Why don't we plan our sermons out so that while our theme is going to be uh, salvation, on the, uh, and Jesus sal- uh, offer of salvation on the cross. We're going to center on the cross. So in January, you're going to be focusing on that. In February, you're, you're going to be on that theme. But what part of the theme are you going to zero in on? That's a pretty broad theme. So how are you going to narrow that down? And if you plan it out, what Ray does is not going to... Totally walk all over what Ellen's going to do or the other way around because you've thought about what aspects you're going to do and you've planned it out in advance. And if you do that with a pastor and the pastor says, this is going to be the theme this year, we want to talk about uh, uh, during the month of January, we want to talk about stewardship and all its aspects. And, uh, but I can only, Pastor says, I can only be here the first uh, week that week. Ray, why don't you, on the second week, you preach on this aspect of stewardship. Ellen, on the third week, you take that. You see what I'm saying? You plan in advance, and then everything flows. And it makes the diet that you're giving to the congregation more complete. All right, switching to another area here, and there's some logic to what I'm doing but there is some uh, interaction on different aspects of elder leadership that I want to share with you. So let's talk about the elder and church nurture, and this is part of visitation. Uh, Love and unity are Christian requirements. John told us, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Love and unity are developed by interacting with people. The elder wants to be uh, in the church, nurturing the congregation, nurturing the members and leading them to unity. Unity empowers the church. Acts chapter 2 says now, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The Spirit of God in the latter reign was not, in the early reign, was not given until they were united. And Ellen White makes it abundantly clear, as does the Bible, that the latter reign will not be given until the majority of God's people are united together and working for Him. (laughs) Until that happens, we are still here. And the Spirit of God is not going to uh, be able to avoid that because that is what God is asking of His people. Christian love produces unity despite our differences. And I'm going to keep going past that part. In order to be able to facilitate the nurture in our congregations, we as elders need to be involved in visiting our members. The visitation of members can be vital to their spiritual nurture and growth. And the lack of of visitation, and especially spiritual visitation, leaves our congregations and our members weaker and weaker and weaker. We are not helping our members to grow because we're not going out there and getting acquainted with them and helping them in their spiritual experience. We're assuming that all of their spiritual growth is taking place on their own. And for a lot of people, we know statistically that's not happening. We know statistically that probably somewhere between 10 to 20% of people are even reading their Bibles, period. And if you don't go into the church, into the homes and find out whether or not, and you have to do that carefully, so don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about coming in here and, and saying I'm going through a checklist and, and you know, uh, are you studying your Bible every day? No, okay, demerits for you. you know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you go in and you visit and you become acquainted with people and you just, in time, you're able to, be, to glean what's happening, sometimes with direct questions, other times by just listening to them and finding out what's happening. But you, when you go and you visit, not only can you find out where a need is, but then you can turn around and supply that need. And that's why this is so important to this process. I'll keep going and it'll come together here in a moment. This kind of ministry is one of the most effective ways that the elders can serve their people. Home visitation is important for your people because they need to know that you care enough to come. <coughs> now, we live in a society today that has become a little bit reclusive, maybe a lot reclusive. We, people don't have to even go out of their home to get groceries anymore. You understand that, right? And people are pushing that more and more. Do you have a Kroger's around you at all or a, a Walmart or something like that? I've noticed that these stores that down around me, when I go to the Walmart, they've got these, post, these posts all over the entrance as I walk in about how I can call ahead of time and I can order this and I can do that because Amazon is so competing with these retail stores that they're taking away all their business. And grocery stores are doing the same thing. I can call ahead to, I don't, because that's not the way I've done it, and I don't have need to do that right now. But I can call Kroger's, I can place an order with them or do it online, and I can drive up and they'll put it in my car and I'll drive away. That's the kind of thing that's going on today. And we can stay at home and, and not go anyplace and still live and survive. Church members are not as used to the pastor just dropping by and visiting, or an elder, but that doesn't mean it doesn't need to happen. Dan? I'm going to say that for the recording here because that's pretty amazing. Uh, Dan is sharing that his daughter has a washing machine and she can push a button on it when she needs detergent and the next day it shows up on her doorstep. Well, that's just, <laughs> that's the way it is with our world today and our people are becoming more reclusive because of it and society and whole, and I say we, I mean our people, I don't mean just our church people. I'm talking about society has just become that way and we don't interact as much as we used to. But as elders, this is where... Growth takes place on our part as well as our members, and we need to care enough to be in their homes. Now, let's talk a little bit about visitation planning. First of all, it should be a part of the board of elders or the church board. If you don't, you know, if you're a smaller church and you do most of your work on the board, you can do that as well. And it should be part of the agenda where you're planning the visitation of the members this visitation can involve and should involve a deacon and deaconess uh and be in charge can uh, they can develop an organization of parish zones, sometimes called that, or various areas where people live. If you're a smaller church, you may not need that level of organization. In uh, larger churches where you're more uh, more of a your demographic, so more of a city-type environment, like where Dan is, and you might have a couple, two or three hundred members, you can plan various areas and chair pastors, uh sometimes like to organize these churches there that way where the elder is in charge of that area and there's a deacon and a deaconess that's in charge of that area and they visit all the members that are in that area. It's their area of responsibility. Their parish sometimes used, a term that we don't use as much because sometimes we're a little afraid it's too Catholic or something like that. But it's, it's, an, it's a parish is just simply a, a group of people in a church. That's really what it amounts to or a zone or whatever you want to call it but you can organize that way, and it's very effective and uh, very easy to do. Visitation by appointment is probably the most critical thing you have to do today, just reality. And that is because people are so busy. If you want to waste your time and go around trying to knock on people's doors and have two, one of two things happen, most likely you're going to knock on their door and they won't be home. Or number two, you're going to knock on the door and they're so busy that you're coming to the door is really very inconvenient. And they're just not expecting you. Uh, the home isn't clean as they'd like it to be. They've been so busy. Uh, they just got home after being gone for a week. And they're just trying to get the groceries away and, and uh, clean, you know, take care of laundry they've been needing to do. And you're, I mean, you're really interfering with them. Now, I don't want to tell you that you may also be coming at the time when they're watching their favorite television program or whatever, and that kind of situation. And, and Yeah, all kinds of different issues going on. So, at any rate, you don't want to not make appointments today. That's really important. But if you organize your church and you start developing a process, members will become used to you doing this. Please. Uh, I have a question in regards to the pastors. hmm Function with this, I can remember when we got a new pastor. One of his goals was, he told us, "You know, I plan on visiting the entire church in the next year," mm-hmm. and he did. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the very few. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, we have a new pastor coming in a couple weeks. Here, <clears throat> we had a new one not that long ago. <laughs> but, uh, from the pastors' perspective, how much they feel that they need to be involved in this in the actual visitation, or whether they think or they're taught that the elders are really supposed to do We got to find a balance in that. It's a good question, Ray. I'll repeat it just to make sure that it picks up on the recording, and that is. Um, How much do pastors feel they need to invest into this, or do they think it's just the elders' responsibility? I'll speak to you from the ministerial department's perspective, and I don't want to speak to individual pastors because I don't always know what they want to do. But I do know that when we, uh, when we move pastors, especially young pastors, we try to remind them, and, you know, I, I try to do this We've had so many moves lately, I probably haven't told some of them. But there are some, and specifically, that I've told them that you want to get out there and visit those members as soon as you arrive. That should be your first priority, your number one task. Try to get, especially in smaller churches, try to get every member visited within the first three months. And we encourage that to happen. The pastor needs an ongoing process, and that's where the elders come in. The elders need to be involved in a visitation on the long term, on a regular basis, because visitation that, uh, that accomplishes some of the things that we were talking about back here, on this level, these kinds of ministries that we're talking about here cannot take place unless it's over an extended period of time. You, your visitation, the your first time you visit you're getting acquainted with people if you've never visited them before or they happen to be new members. The next time that you visit, you want to be zeroing in on spiritual things. It's not just a casual visit, you know, like, how's your car running? Is the washing machine that you was broken last time fixed? That's okay for conversation starters and for finding out how people are. But you're a spiritual leader, and you want to be emphasizing the spiritual things, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But the issue... Uh, going out and visiting them is over an extended period of time. That's why the elders are needed to be part of that because you span the gap between pastors. You know, we don't know when, when your pastor is going to take a call to California and, and do that. Now, we do know when we're going to move a pastor, but sometimes we have to do that even on more of a short term. And you keep the consistency going by your visitation process. So it needs to be both, both working together. And I hopefully the pastor and the elders are visiting together with each other from time to time as well as separately, so that that ongoing process could go on. So it needs to be both in a good, appropriate balance. And a uh, uh, pastor, the ideal situation is that when pastor first arrives that within the first three months to a year, depending on the size of the church or number of churches that they have, that they're able to get out and visit all those members. And then for the rest of the time they're there, they're trying to go out and visit um, on a regular basis just to get around and and meet the members, but they need the elders to be involved in that process at that point. Elder Nelson used to say it this way, um, when I first get there, I want to visit everybody. After that, if I show up at your door, it's because I need you to do something or you're in trouble. <laughs> so that, that's a that's an interesting way to put it. I, I, I don't want everybody to think that, that you're showing up to give them a job or or you're in trouble, but that sometimes is the way it, it works. I see that as the pastor, but the elders and deacons, it's more a matter of, of neither of those. It's just a regular yes in touch yes. constantly, regardless of exactly. whether the pastor was there yesterday, I need to keep coming regularly. Absolutely. That regular visitation that continues to develop that relationship. And I'm not talking weekly, and I'm not even talking monthly. Um, but you do want to get to a point, I'd say quarterly, uh, in a church your size, if you can get around quarterly to your members, or at least once a year. And then specifically when there might be special needs that arise. Okay? Um, my wife and I have a team, so... I do visitations. I like to take her along. Absolutely. Yeah, especially if it's for a couple or a woman or whatever. And, and even if it's children, she's gonna a controlled. Absolutely. Dan, that's really important. I didn't want to cut you off, is that what you were saying. Excellent. I encourage visitation by twos. All right, especially married couples. That is an ideal way to visit. Uh, an elder and his wife uh, visiting or, or an elder and her, sp- and her husband, as the case may be. In your case, you have, um, you have lady elders in your church. Some do, some don't. That's all I'm saying. Um, but al- also deacons and deaconesses that we had before. Uh, an elder can go with a deacon and uh, uh, an elder can go with a deaconess. But now let me explain what I mean by that. Sometimes that deaconess is your wife, some elders have deacon, uh, deaconess' wives. Um, you can still do it as an elder if you're married and the deaconess is not your wife. You can still do it, but this is how you I would do that. You meet them at that house, okay? You don't get in the car together, but you meet them at that house, and you can go in and visit the, that family. And this is especially helpful in smaller congregations where you don't have re- people resources to be doing what needs to be done, and there may be a single mother uh, needs to be visited, and you don't, as a male elder, feel comfortable, and shouldn't feel comfortable in visiting that, uh, that uh, single mother, and you need a lady to go with you, but your wife's not available, and time is important in getting to that particular home. So there are ways to be able to do that and still accomplish that. So very good. Appreciate that. Let me go through the visitation format here with you today. First of all, prepare. And by that, just have an idea what you plan to do when you go there. Some people think that I don't know how to visit and so I'm not going to do anything because I don't know what I'd do if I got there and I'm not very good at spur of the moment and so on. Yeah, but you can plan. And it doesn't have to be long. Some people think that visitation. You know, I got a plan to go there for an hour, and what am I going to do for it? No, please don't go there for an hour. <laughs> you want them to know you're going to go away, and that they, can, you know, the next time you come, you're not going to be there for 45 minutes or an hour or 10 hours or whatever, and uh, that you can leave. And if people are trying to get you to stay, especially the first times you visit, try not to let them keep you there, because you want them to know that you can and will leave so that they don't feel like, oh, I don't want him back here again. It took, him, took us two hours to get him out of here. And you know so you know what I'm saying. So prepare with what you're going to do. The request to stay can only be being polite where they really would like you to go. Some, yeah, that, that is very common, is exactly true. Sometimes there's a genuine need on a first visit where it really you need to take that time. But it, sometimes it's better actually say, look, I really didn't budget that amount of time for tonight. But if you don't mind, how about if I come back on Wednesday night or Thursday night and we'll talk about that particular issue and I'll budget an hour for that amount of time. That way, they know that you're in control of that timing and you can work through that process, all right? Be a friend. That's part of what you're planning to do there. You're just trying to get acquainted with them and know who they are as individuals. And if you really don't know much about them, find out about their kids and their family background and where they grew up and, and just, just whatever you can uh, in a brief sort of a way. Make the Bible the focus. Intend to share a Bible promise with them before you leave that home. Make the Bible the focus in what you do. You want to be able to ask, are there needs that they have that you want to, that you, um, they want you to know about and that you can be praying about? That also gives you something to pray about right there with them, as well as something to pray about when, you, um, when you're at home and in your private devotionals. This point, I've already made the point a little bit, but I want to make it again leave. All right? Leave. Plan to be there a short period of time and leave when you've prayed. Once you pray, you're gone. You want the last thing for them to be thinking about is the prayer that you had for them and the ministering that you were doing to them at that particular point. Right. What does right mean? Keep notes of what you did. did. But you don't want to be doing that. You notice where it is. It's number seven and it's after you... After you leave. So you you have left, you're out in the car, not in front of their house. You might drive down a few doors, or if it's in a subdivision, or wherever it's appropriate, but before you forget, write down your notes. It's helpful to you for the future, and it's also helpful for your pastor to write those notes down, and to know what that conversation was. Now, occasionally, you might come across something that's confidential, and please don't tell the pastor they said, don't do that. And there are times when that's appropriate. There are times when that's not appropriate, but there are times when most of the time that is appropriate. Keep that confidence so that they know that you can be trusted with something that they're sharing with you. And, uh, but the notes are very helpful. You might even have to put down there, they shared something confidential with me. And it's just to remind you of what they shared. So if you're looking back at it, it triggers your mind as to what that was. All right, now this visitation part has another aspect to it that has a tendency to generate fear in the heart of an elder. Um, especially lay elders who have not been trained in this area, and that has to do with counseling. Pastor Elders are afraid to get involved in visitation because they're afraid that they're going to get into situations that they can't handle because people have real problems and they're looking to elders for solutions. And all of that is true. They have real problems and they do tend to look at elders and the spiritual leaders in the church for solutions to those problems. So let's talk a little bit about counseling and what it is and isn't in an elder's context. One of the reasons for which the churches exist uh, does exist is to provide a place for troubled people where they can come and, within the fellowship of believers, find concern being offered to them by the membership of the church, and they find strength and support for the problems that they're facing. Some people's problems are that they have never really had an encounter with Jesus, they haven't been studying the Bible, and they need to develop a personal relationship with Christ. You are qualified to help in that area. Now, you may say, wait a minute, I'm not qualified. I can't even give a Bible study. No, you're qualified, but if you don't know how to do that, then ask the pastor to teach you how to do those aspects. Because you have a personal relationship with Jesus. That was, as we talked about yesterday, the call to being an elder and the qualifications of an elder. You are already qualified that way because of your personal relationship with Christ. But you also may need to learn how to share some of those things with other people. Your counseling may be as simple as giving Bible studies to somebody. That's counseling. Did you know that? It's teaching people where the solutions are in the Word of God, and that is helping to teach them as well. Um, or just teaching them how to do a devotional life, how to have a devotional life in their, in their experience. And by the way, before I forget about it. If you're not familiar, how many of you know about the Discipleship Handbook and have one in your possession? Okay? All right, now at the end of that Discipleship Handbook is an outline of a devotional plan, and it's a great tool to use with members who need to develop that relationship, which I'm telling you is anywhere from three-quarters to 90% of your church. Go out and... What's that? I that I said, the book has a devotional plan in the back which you can use to teach members how to have a devotional life which is the need of three-quarters to 90% of the members of your congregation. They're not having a personal devotional life on a regular daily basis. They may be like the general public and like most Christians and like most Seventh-day Adventists. We know statistically they're not reading their Bibles every day. They're reading them three or four times a year, okay? And maybe once a week if they're really on a good roll. And so you want to be able to teach that and you want a tool to be able to do that. All right, but let's talk about some of the difficulties of counseling that come along. There are people who need special care and we don't want to refuse them help. They need more than just sympathy. They need some attention that will help them to, uh, to get that help. Uh, but they, they need what we're able to provide And they may, in some cases, they're only seeking sympathy, and that's enough, but sometimes people want sympathy every day. And I mean, there are people like that that will call you every day, and that's not good either. You have to have boundaries when it comes to this area. Elders sometimes become susceptible out of their kindness, a lack of counseling, expertise, or training, and because of their own egos, they think they have to solve everything and have an answer for everything. But that's not what God wants us to do. And so here are some guidelines. Counseling involves listening. I'm the kind of individual who likes to, I'm constantly trying to solve problems in my head. And when somebody's talking to me, I'm already trying to think ahead of them and think about what the solutions are. That's not good. I'm telling you that's the kind of person I am, and I have to work hard at learning to listen and turn my brain off long enough to be able to listen to. I don't mean brain dead. I mean so that I'm not ahead of them, I'm listening to them. Number two, we need to concentrate on solutions. We don't want to just listen to them, but we want to think about what are the solutions to the challenge that they have. Their challenge that they might be facing is they might have some financial challenges, and the solution is they need to be trained how to manage finances and work through that. The solution isn't usually to give them money. But once in a while, that kind of a need can arise and it can happen and it can be appropriate in some cases. But you want to outline options for them in terms of solutions and you want to help them choose a plan. Which one is going to work best for them? And you may have several ideas of what might help to solve that problem, but what do they think is going to be the one that's going to help them the best? let's say I mean I'm being a bit mundane, but you could this can happen to you. You got a family that's uh having they struggling with finances, they got four kids. Um he works uh uh, only part time and he's disabled and, and she's just busy taking care of the kids and they're just struggling with life in general. But they need to get a car and they've got a little bit of money to be able to do that and how, and they're saying, you know, we've never really bought a car before. How do we go about doing that? Well, you can outline for them the steps you'd take in buying a car. You can go to a dealer and, uh, find a car that way or, uh, you know, Uh, Truth is, I've got a car that might work for you and I don't need it anymore. It's 20 years old but it runs great and you might want, you know, I'm just pulling out some things out of the hat. And you might say to them, now which of these would work best for you? Well, they'd say, well, I think I'd like to go to the used car dealer and see if I can find a car there that would work for us and work on the payments. I'd feel better about it myself if I did that than taking the car. I really appreciate you offering the car, but that would work best for us. And you, you might say, well, just make sure you understand there are going to be some financial ramifications of your decision. And yes, but I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm going to get a job in a, in a week that's going to be a full-time job, and that's going to help solve that problem. So you're just talking through those kinds of things with them, all right? You want to pray with them. By all means, you want to pray with them. And then, this is a very important area. Ellen White tells us that in the end of time, people's emotional and mental health problems were going to get worse and worse, and boy, are they ever. And that is so really true. You need to know when to refer. And basically, this is the rule. If you can't solve their problem, and I mean that by helping them find solutions to the problem that they're dealing with, in three times dealing with that particular issue, refer them on. Okay, that's what we tell pastors. You can't solve that problem in three times, then it's out of your area and you need to refer it on to someone else who's able to take that situation and deal with it. All right, I wanted to spend more time in that particular area today. I'm just about out of time and I knew that, I, that was a good possibility today. The last areas here that uh, are are part of what we wanted to talk about are small group ministries. I'd like you to read through uh, the notes that are there. I think you can read what's on that paper fairly well. You might have to get a uh, micro, I mean, a micro, magnifying glass out for some of those pieces. But uh, there are quotations and Bible verses there that will help you. Let me just hit a couple of highlights here. Small groups, as Ellen White says in this quotation, uh, the formation of small companies, the basis of Christian effort, is a plan that has been presented before me by one who cannot err. This is a good way to organize your church in terms of developing relationships and nurture and developing teams for witnessing and all kinds of things. The Sabbath school classes are already small groups that exist in your church. And you could utilize them outside of church on, uh, on Sabbath morning. You could utilize them as well as part of a basis of small group ministries in your churches. There are all kinds of different ways of doing this. And there's some great information and material on small groups, the purposes of small groups, and all of these kinds of issues here. That is... The kind of thing that um, that small groups can provide. But there, I, I just don't have time to get into all this. I really would like to and be able to do that. Let me take you a little far. Prayer ministry is a vital part of the work that you do. And it's not just for prayer meeting, but organizing a prayer team in your church for specific needs and praying at prayer meeting. You many times are in charge of prayer meeting. Prayer meeting is spoken of in our notes here as well. And if you're looking for ideas of what to do for prayer meeting, uh, a little bit of an outline right here on the prayer ministry, you know, starting on time, study for no more than 20 minutes, have some time for reflection, testimonies, and so on. And then, of course, prayer meeting is for praying, of all things, and uh, making sure that your prayer is relevant. I'll tell you what, when churches really begin to pray, they begin to see huge changes. I've seen churches that have gotten uh, together and prayed about needing students in the school, and they get students in the school when they, you know, they, some churches just want to give up because we don't have enough kids. If you pray about it, the Lord can take and care for what you can't solve. And, and prayer is the way God solves problems. We need to take advantage of that. Social activities are mentioned in here, make sure that there are social activities going on in your church. It's vital, more important than many churches are recognizing today, and people are spending less and less time together when you need to be spending, a good rule is once a month having some kind of a social interaction, and especially during the summer. But I don't want to say not during the winter either because people get inside and they get disconnected and you want to have something going on by which you can do that. The last thing I want to mention in your notes, you have a long section on dealing with various departments in your church. Um, I could say a lot about that and I'm not going to say any more about that today. But to tell you that this whole idea of supporting the departments is important your clerk needs to be supported and encouraged with their their duties and you need to you need to help them to Understand how valuable they are. Just remind them, you know, maybe go visit the clerk and say, we just want you to know how valuable you are to us, how much we appreciate. You come to every board meeting. You're there and taking those notes regularly, and you do a great job of sharing those notes at our meetings. You're you're on top of uh, membership transfers. And for all the people that are working in your church, you want to be encouraging them and supporting them. It also can mean that there are times when you are trying to encourage them when they're having some problems. Uh, they're not getting the job done. You want to be able to be supportive as well as encouraging that they need to continue to move the work forward. And, uh, and if they need training, then get a hold of the conference office. If it's a treasurer or a clerk that needs some specific training or the pastor who might be able to guide some of that process or other departments as well. The work of an elder is keeping that church functioning and moving ahead in all the aspects that we've been talking about from the spiritual growth and the outreach of the church, the development of the ministries in your church and the needs of the spiritual growth of your church members through visitation. You have a critical work to do in your church. And I hope that these two days have been able to give you a little bit of a... Uh, focus here. If you want additional help, don't hesitate to let us know at the conference office. We're willing to come. I came out to uh, uh, Victor's church there at the request of the pastor, and we did some training there. I do it on district level as well, where several churches come together, and we organize and train. It's a great way to get all the elders out and help them in part, uh, part of that the training of elders to me is a high priority, and i 'll change my schedule to do it if i if I need to do that in order to be able to meet the need of the field. Thank you very much for being here let 's bow our heads and have a closing prayer. Lord, thank you for the elders that are here present today, and thank you for all our elders in the Michigan conference and around our Uh, remnant church around the world. We pray that you will bless them as they lead their churches and their church families. I pray that your spirit will guide them and utilize them in such a way that they are able to strengthen the churches spiritually and also help them to grow uh, numerically with disciples for you to finish the work. I pray that as we go about our responsibilities and opportunities the rest of this day, that you will go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.